0: Good morning. As I get myself situated this morning, if I can have uh, all of you to stand and greet the person next to you and welcome them to church. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a seat, thank you so much. There are more seats in the front. Good morning, Uh, my name is uh, Sanjaya Prawiro, and if you are here for the first time, thank you for taking uh, the time to spend your precious Sunday morning um, with us this morning. Now, um, as you enter the auditorium this morning, each of you should receive a black rubber band. Who hasn't gotten one? The church has figured out that we can zap you if you fall asleep. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, it's, 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 it's for something on today's sermon. So uh, if you haven't gotten one, uh, please make sure you, you have one this morning. So before we start, I would like to ask to begin today's service with a quick survey. How many of you have a colleague who is not a Christian... But that person outwork you, outdo you in all facets of work in your workplace. Raise your hands. Okay, we we see some. How about um, how many of you have a colleague but is a Christian, a fellow Christian, and this person outwork and outdo you in all facets of work in your workplace. Raise your hands. Okay. Well, I think only 15% raised their hands. So I'm so happy that JICFF have all high achievers in the congregation. So uh, that's amazing, right? Now, most of us, we don't like these overachievers, especially in the workplace. Because they make us all look bad. How many of you follow uh, a comic strip called Dilbert? Dilbert, anybody? You know who is Wally? Wally is a guy who doesn't do any work. Goes around with a coffee mug and talks to people, refills his coffee and pretend that he's working. And that's Wally. Right? And yet, Paul in today's passage, was writing to give instructions and to challenge slaves and also free men and women, let's call them employees, who are believers in Christ on how they should live their lives in obedience and submission with Christ as the master in the workplace. Now, for the benefit of you, uh, for those of you this morning, we are in the midst Of the Ephesians series, and we're now in chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. And I titled today's message, Christ as our Master, even in the workplace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask for your anointing hands as I share your word this morning. I ask the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of those who are here this morning. They take these words today and apply them in their lives. May we strive to be more Christ-like in our day-to-day living. Amen. So this morning I will be sharing a topic about slaves and master, or if we can translate to today's work environment is employee and, and employer. Now as a preparation for today's sermon, A couple of weeks ago, um, I asked my community group members uh, for some tips on how um, to share a message that can be effective and edifying to all of us. Their response was very simple. You just need to do two things. Make the message relevant and easy to understand, and share some personal testimony. Well, to make the message relevant and easy to understand, you first and foremost must understand the profiles of the people that attend the church. Well, we have one that is seekers, those of you that are seeking or trying to understand what Christianity is all about. And then we have young Christians uh, who are just in the beginning of their journey as, as a Christian. And finally, we have those mature Christians who come to church, who want to understand God's Word deeper. So we have, you know, to the extreme, right? And it makes it challenging for someone standing up here to share those words. But fortunately, we are in the book of Ephesians, which is full of basic theology. So I should be able to check all those boxes. For starters, you see, any Christians... Young and mature Christians, when you study the Bible on your own time or within your community, the question you must ask yourself is this, what if you did it without the authority of the Word of God? What if you did it without the principles of the Word of God? What if you did it without the direction of the Word of God? And what if you did it without a renewed mindset then it won't matter what you read or what you study because it will not affect your heart. It won't affect the way you think and the way you live. So when you come to a book like the book of Ephesians, you must commit yourself to studying the Word of God. And if you commit yourself to studying the Word of God, the Spirit of God will use the information that you have learned and transform your mind And then suddenly you will realize one day that your life is different. It's these principles that God is putting into your thinking that is going to make a difference in your life. This is a process that will take you to grow, to be mature believers, and to be more Christ-like. Now, in the spirit of continuation of becoming more Christ-like as the foundation of our Christian living, My goal today is that for all of us to live out our lives in obedience and submission with Christ as our master, even in the workplace. So how did we get here? This is just a quick summary. God has redeemed us, and we're saved by grace through faith. God has given us every spiritual blessing through Christ, and we're all members of one body. Paul then laid out in chapter 4 in the Spirit-filled life how we should live our lives through pursuit of unity amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ and how we should be maturing and growing into Christ's likeness And we have been in a spot in chapter 5 and 6 where Paul laid out in more detail on how as believers we should imitate Christ and try to be more Christ-like in our respective roles as husbands, as wives, as children, and as parents. Now, we will continue that journey today as we look at our roles as employees and employer, in the Spirit-filled life, in obedience and submission with Christ as our Master. So why is this important? Why did Paul continue to write about Christ-like living in various roles. Paul was reminding the Ephesians, and also us today, in the spirit-filled life, Christ-like living is important because when we enter the kingdom of God, all of our views, all of our customs, and all of our paradigms will need to change. We need to reflect the new us. We need to put off our old selves And put on our new selves. Our life needs to reflect Christ. So after reading uh, the Ephesians passage, we will define the meaning of slaves and master. And then we'll go and look into what is the meaning of slaves of Christ. And then we'll elaborate Christ-like living in the workplace. What is it like? And then finally apply... The lesson from today's passage by exchanging your chain. I'm going to be reading from the NLT version. Uh, It's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 to 9. It is titled Slaves and Master. Now in some translation it says bond servants instead of, of slave. So let's read it together out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Slaves Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they are watching you as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do whether we are slaves or free. Master, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorite. You see, the first thing that we notice in this passage is Paul continued to address the applications of spirit-filled life. In other words, Christ-like living. And this time, Paul is showing the Ephesians slaves and free men and women, employees basically, on how they should live out their lives with Christ as their master in the workplace. What Paul is saying, it didn't matter if your master is not a Christian. You are still supposed to work as if you were working for Christ and vice versa. When Paul wrote these words, the instruction on spirit-filled Christ-like living were so counter-cultural in those days. Christian living out their faith and lives in obedience and submission because of their life for Christ were unheard of. Christian voluntarily submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ were revolutionary. The message that Paul delivered to the Ephesians also, work in our modern Christian living. Living a life that is countercultural is still demanded from us today. We're still called to live out our lives in obedience and submission with Christ as our Master, even in the workplace. And what we see then and what we see now on the various roles of relationship, husbands and wives, children and parents, and now employees and employers, is a secular worldview, whereby fundamentally they are based on control and power. Now this is not God's original design. This is a far cry from a spirit-filled living which is based on obedience and submission to Christ. If we're to take a broader view of this, slavery in one of its many forms is exactly this, dominion or control over an individual or group of people. Now, in the earlier periods of the Bible, uh, the intended focus was that there was not supposed to be any slavery. Rather, it was servants or bond servants. This is a reference more to a living situation of an individual, it is in no way um, to mean to, to demean a person's God-given value. Now there are three uh, definitions of slave that I'd like to um, bring to your attention. The first is a bond servant. Now, a bond servant is a person who is bound to service without wages to a master. Basically, you render your service of yourself to someone because there is, no, there is a debt that you must pay. In some cases, the debt that you owe is so big and so large that the bondservant ended up working for his or her entire life to the master. Now, in bondservant situation, the master cannot... Anyhow, treat their bondservant as they please. There are rules to follow. The Bible is clear on the rules relating to bondservant. In Exodus chapter 21, we see that if a master exercised excessive abuse towards a bondservant, God's law required the master to set the servant free. Also in Exodus chapter 21, Whenever an Israelite accepted a bondservant from among their own people, it is not a lifelong contract. The term only lasted six years. And the master is obligated to set the Hebrew bondservant free when the seventh year began. But the connotation of the word slave or slavery changes over time. And by the time we reached the period of the Romans era, slavery was common and it was bad. It is hard to know how many people were in slavery during the reign of the Roman Empire, but certainly a huge percentage of slaves were present especially in the Roman territory. What is different if you are a Roman slave? You see during the reign of the Roman Empire, when the Romans invaded some Someplace, they would kill all the men. And they would take the women and the children back and sold them in the slave market. And they become the property of the master. Although the, the slave can put, uh, eventually purchase their way to freedom, but it is highly unlikely. And what is also unique as a Roman slave is that you can become a citizen of Rome. Now, Most of us understand slavery because of this, chattel slavery. It is the kind of slavery that existed in the United States. A slave owner literally owned a slave. Not only the master owned the slave, but the master also owned the child and the children of the slave. The slave master could do anything he or she wanted to the slave as long as social convention permitted it. What does it mean? As long as nobody says anything, you can do whatever you want. The only way a slave in chattel slavery can be free is when the master set the slave free or a new master paid the price for the slave from the old master, to be set free. The definition of master is pretty straightforward. A master is someone who has authority over another, uh, the employer especially of a servant, and a person who holds another person in slavery. Given the socio-economic and cultural norms of that period, It would make sense that God, in his divine sovereignty, through Paul, addressed the issue of slaves and their masters. Now, the slaves and master relationship does not just address the issue of socioeconomic and cultural norms, but it has a bigger picture in relation to the kingdom of God. In verse 6, Paul wrote that we are slaves of Christ. What does it mean? Now, God in His sovereignty picks slavery as a picture of our relationship to Him, which is to say that there is a form of slavery which is noble and exalted. In fact, it is such a wonderful relationship that it can be used to describe the relationship that every Christian should have with Christ himself. So again, what does slaves of Christ mean? If we go back to the book of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve with the purpose to glorify him and to have fellowship with him. God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to rule and have dominion over all the earth. But when they rebelled against God and ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered the world. And consequently, God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. And since that time, humans are eternally separated from God. Whether we like it or not, sin is inherited in all of us. And death is our destiny. I have news for you. The sin that we inherited, we inherited it in all of its fullness. What do I mean by that? We just don't get to pick and choose which sin we inherited. We are able to commit all of sin's derivatives, sexual immorality, pride, lying, covetousness, greed, stealing, idolatry, even murder. But Satan is so cunning in hiding sin derivatives from us, so most of us do not realize that we inherited sin in all of its fullness. We think we acquire sin bit by bit, right? We grow into it. Actually, this is false. This is heresy. We inherited sin in all of its fullness. Most of us, we don't think about sin. We think about sinful acts only when we sin. It is not at the forefront of what we think about. We're not thinking about sin... Because Satan was so clever in hiding the truth that we are so desensitized with the interpretation and definition of sin. That the only time we associate sin is when we see or hear about excessive or gruesome crimes that took place on the news. For example, I don't lie. I just don't, have, don't tell the whole truth. Is that bad? I don't cheat on my wife, but I'm watching pornography movies. That's not so bad, right? Satan lulls us to sleep of our sin. He's making you to think that you're not a sinner. You're a good person. But what does the scripture say? In 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 says that if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So have you been living in a lie? Why is that? Because everyone has sin and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're not free. We are slaves of sin. And sin is our master. So what does a free person look like? I like the definition of Free person from Dr. Sean McDowell. He's a professor at um, Biola University. Um, one of our Verity student, alum. There she is. Welcome back. Um, what is it? What is it uh, what does a free person look like? Well, a free person not only has the capacity of choice, freedom from, but orients his or her life to God's design. Freedom for. See, most of us only understand the freedom from part of being free, that we can make choices that are not coerced by anyone. We do not consider the freedom for part of being free. In other words, we're forgetting that God exists. We're forgetting that God created us for a purpose. The Creator created us for His glory for his companionship, and to worship him. What this definition means is that we're only truly free when we are also free in fulfilling God's given purpose. A spirit-filled living, imitators of God, becoming more Christ-like. For example, the free person is the one who is able to say no to looking at pornography. The free person is the one who is able to say no to a bottle of alcohol. The free person is the one who is is able to say no to lustful eyes. And the free person is the one who is able to say no to greed. More importantly, the free person is the one who is able to say yes to loving God and loving other people as they were meant to be loved. The free person is the one who is able to say yes to obedience and submission with Christ as the master. The secret to a Christian life is found in the scandal of grace. We have a song for that, the scandal of grace. And this is what separates Christianity from other faith. It is when we acknowledge our own brokenness and inability to live as God wants us to that we begin to experience inner transformation. Just like the slaves cannot be free unless a new master paid for their freedom, so we can never be free as slaves of sin unless a new master redeems us. Friends, that is exactly what Jesus did. By dying on the cross, he paid for our sins. He had bought us with his blood, And God raised him on the third day. This is God's greatest gift to all humanity. It is only by his grace we have been saved. A couple of months back, we studied uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what it says. That even though we were dead because of our sins, God gave us life when God raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace. When you believed, and you cannot take credit for this, it is a gift from God. So, when we repent and confess our sins and declare that Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives, you are now saved by grace through faith. You are now a member in God's kingdom, you are no longer slave of sin. And you are free from the power of sin and you have become slaves of God, slaves of Christ. So you have a choice, slave of Christ or slave of sin. Well, it is pretty clear for me that if you are a slave of Christ, the benefits are having, you have eternal life and you will inherit everything that God has promised us. And you are free from the bondage of sin. And you are free, you are a free person. Freedom from and freedom for. That you can live your life to the fullest as what God has intended us to when He created us. But if you are a slave of sin, then your destiny, final destination is death, eternal separation from God. And you continue for the rest of your life carrying the bondage of sin. And you're only living half of your life. You're you're not a free person because you're not free to live as God had intended you to live. So if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, you are now slave of Christ. Christ is your master. Now What? In Romans chapter 6 verse 19, now you must give yourself to be slave to righteous living so that you will become holy. What this verse is saying in a spirit-filled life in obedience and submission with Christ as our master, we must strive to become more Christ-like in our daily living. If I can rewind back um, a few weeks, we heard from Mike Brumel, how in unity through diversity we should strive towards maturity in Christ-likeness. And then we heard from Dr. Suparno how we could grow in Christ-likeness. And then Dr. Lee shared how we should be imitators of God. And then Agus showed us how husbands and wives in their respective roles can thrive in their marriage when together submitting themselves to Christ as their master. And then we heard the testimony from Alan Barnhart. Where he challenged us on surrendering. Obeying and submitting everything to God. Including our businesses. Our livelihood. And then last week. John Freiberg showed us how believers can thrive. In their roles as children and parents. When Christ is in the center of their lives. So. How then as believers should we live out our lives in the workplace as slaves of Christ, as slave to righteous living? You see, as members of God's kingdom, we must not pretend to be who we are not. In fact, it is very difficult to pretend because we spend maybe one half of our days at work. So if you live a fake life, then you have a terrible, terrible day at work. We should strive to be Christ-like even in the workplace. Again, this is an extraordinary thing that Paul is asking the slaves or the free men and women during those times to do. He's basically saying, hey, listen, even if your master are not believers, you must still live your life in obedience and submission to them because Christ is ultimately your master. Now let me get one thing straight. Paul was not advocating riot. He's not advocating to overthrowing the government or revolting against masters. In fact, it's the opposite. Paul is calling believers to be obedient, to be submissive, even to rulers and to authorities. Because these rulers and authorities, even in Indonesia, believe it or not, and the United States and other parts of the world, that God instituted them. God ordained them to be rulers and administrators. So there are two components to achieving Christ-like living in the workplace. First, you must have the right attitude. We must possess the right attitude. If you possess the right attitude, then you can have the right output of Christ-like living. So what does it mean to have the right attitude? Both employees and employers, you must have the attitudes that God is the master. We must realize that ultimately, we're serving God, not serving men. Doing His will wholeheartedly, and that we work for Him. And this is extremely tough to do. Right? You must have the right attitude. Once you have the right attitude, then what are the output that you can expect? If you are an employee, you must obey with respect and fear. We are to give obedience to our earthly employer as though we're working for Christ with respect and fear. Obeys the company's rules and regulations, obey their standards. And God also calls us to obey with respect and fear to our employer because He has given authority in the role they play as the employer. But this does not mean that you blindly obey your employer. If your employer asks you to do something that is not right, I think you need to take a step back, prayerfully consider the options. Maybe discuss with your small group, discuss with your employer about your situation, about where you stand, right? We must do it with respect and fear. Just as we respect and fear God, we should also exude the same respect and fear to our employer. As to God Serve sincerely. Work is hard, right? Some of us don't even like our job. Survey, who don't like your job? Um, but nonetheless, we are called to serve sincerely, maybe less grumbling, less complain. Instead, we should give thanks for the opportunity to shine at our workplace. Ask God to, to give us the opportunity so that we can be the salt and light at the workplace. Try to please all the time. Go the extra mile. Don't be like Wally. He only works if the boss is right next to him. Right? You should work as if Well, God is watching you all the time. No slacking off at work. Remember, we are slaves of Christ. Work with enthusiasm. Are you not excited that you are free from the bondage of sin? You know, that alone should reflect that in the way you work. Are you not excited that Christ is ultimately the boss And finally, do good work. I interpret this verse, and this is verse 8, by the way, as a person who works to start up treasure in heaven. You share your faith in the workplace, being faithful in the workplace, giving testimony not only by the quality of your work and the excellent attitude you have, but also sharing God's Word at your workplace doing God's work. Ultimately, the Lord will reward you for the good work that you do. Now, if you're an employer, you should treat all your employees equally as human beings. What does that mean? You should not value a human being only by the role they play. Every person is created in God's image. Each person is extremely valuable to God. He paid it with his life. Therefore, you must treat your employees as equal human beings as yourself, member of one body in the kingdom of God. One good example here is found in the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Philemon was a Christian slave owner. Paul led Philemon to Christ, but Philemon had a slave that escaped from him. His name is Onesimus. Now, in God's divine sovereignty, Onesimus found Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome, and Paul led Onesimus to Christ. And Paul told Onesimus, hey, the right thing to do is for you to return back to your master. And the letter to Philemon is Paul um, challenged to Onesimus to take him to Philemon. Well, at the end of the day, to make a long story short, Philemon received Onesimus back not as his property slave, but as a brother in Christ under covenant of grace. So both master and slaves are equal standing in the body of Christ. This does not mean that if you uh, have a Christian employee that did something wrong, that you should just, you know, let it pass. No, it doesn't mean that, right? You should still need to impose the value of your company. So even if your Christian employee did something wrong, you still need to take actions. Finally, as an employer stop coercing your employees. It means treat your employees with kindness, fairness, and treat them humanely by giving them proper working conditions, paying them fairly, and looking after their welfare. The application today is quite simple. As you entered the auditorium, you were given a black rubber band. This rubber band signify your chain to sin, that sin is your master. We inherited sin in its fullness. Some of you may have forgotten already about the black rubber band. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. Sin, your sin doesn't matter. So, as you exit the church today, please exchange this rubber band to this one. It says, bought with a price, because Christ has paid for your life, and you are free from the bondage of sin. So let this band be a reminder to all of us for the weeks to come, And as long as we shall live, that we must live out our lives in obedience and submission with Christ as our master, even in the workplace.